It's time to get started with the question part of our session. And uh, we have a couple of events next uh, week to mention. On Tuesday at the Public Library, Lika Sonima, Sean Chilton, and Nancy Campbell will address how and when can the new medical assistance in dying law be applied in Lethbridge. That'll be at the Lethbridge Public Library. I'm sure details are on the website. And our regular session next week, we will feature Harold Jansen from U of L speaking on electoral reform. Are Canadians ready to replace the first past the post system? Now, there's more information on our talk today on SACPA's website. You can hear the audio on past sessions, participate in online commentary. There's a suggestion box outside where you can contribute your ideas for speakers. Uh, now, on to our question session. Today we've heard that our, our electricity system will sometime come to depend on energy sources other than fossil fuels and that extensive analysis and planning is warranted to ensure a smooth transition. Our speaker was Cosmos Vutsinus. Please come back to the podium, Cosmos. Uh, questioners, uh, please come to the microphone. Remember to state your name. Keep your comments brief, your questions succinct, and just one or two in number at any one time, so we can just keep track of the flow. I believe we're ready to go. Uh, give you the podium, Cosmo. Okay. Did you tell me to extend it later on? Oh, I was going to, I'll say it again. Yeah. After the formal question and answer session that's being recorded, Cosmos will stay and he would very much like to have you participate in in-depth questions. He'll stay as long as it takes to answer them all, up till midnight. You'll be bringing supper in probably. Uh, Cosmos, thank you very much for your presentation, your, your passion about it. Um, Terry Shillington is my name. And, and uh, you, you uh, implied that there are some serious problems with renewable energy and the, our ventures into renewable energy. It's new in North America, but of course it's not in Europe. They've been going at solar and wind for some time. <clears throat> Would you care to elucidate uh, what s some of the problems you see with wind and solar energy as part of a sure. panorama of solutions? I'll, tr I'll try. Basically, in Europe, that they've been deploying them to start with for the last 30 years, they seem to be in a mode of a U-turn. In Spain, many countries, even Denmark, have curtailed the deployment of renewables, of wind power there. And as they curtail these subsidies, in Spain, for instance, they have not installed one windmill for two years. Why is that? Since they cut off the subsidies. So there are problems with wind power, but it is a good technology. It has some potential, but not where we try to use it. Why? Because as soon as you put a windmill, since it can be only when the wind 
blows and not the rest of the time, which is the rest of the time is 70% of a year, eight years out of a year, it will not blow the wind. It will not be able to cover. So then you have to have another power source to run the utility. And that will be fossil fuels. Is that a solution? That, because we started with that thing in order to save CO2 from the atmosphere. So what are we achieving with that? As we increase the demand, then we increase the, the CO2 going to the atmosphere. Now, you have to remember that a windmill is not coming even free, as they say. Let me see here where I have that. Yeah, a wind turbine, for instance, just to build the tower, it takes 260 tons of steel, 170 tons of steel coal. It has to burn to make the steel. It has to have 300 tons of concrete. Multiply that 5,000, and you will see that an enormous amount of CO2 is generated. How long do they have to run to save CO2 in order to pay for that CO2? It has to be. Otherwise, we're going to be in the deficit. Now, with regards to my, and still, I'm not certain on the problems that uh, I have, and that's why I want to speak to the people and to present to the University of Lethbridge and seed a research plan, is because, as I said, the, co the energy cannot be created out of nothing, cannot be returned, so the renewables are tapping on an existing form of energy. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Let's attack first the, the solar panels. If you go down in the river and you pick up a white stone and a black stone, you will find out that the black stone is warmer than the white stone. Why is that? Well, the reason for it is the, the radiation, the, black, the darker a body, the more radiation it absorbs. So now I want you to travel to another part of the earth that it is brown, the earth, or green. When the sunlight comes, it brings out 100% of the rays, 20% of the energy will be absorbed in the atmosphere, 50% is absorbed at the surface, and 30% is reflected out of space. This reflection is, now I'm getting technical, but I have to try it. This reflection is, on the, is not on the infrared, it is on the visible spectrum, which can penetrate the greenhouses without effect. So that's how it works in the Earth on the average. Now you go there, you stick a solar panel in front of it that absorbs more heat than reflects. So this 30% reflection doesn't go up out to space. It stays here and accumulates. Then I want you to go another point where we started that whole story, not because we have anything against CO2 other than it warms our atmosphere. So what do we do? We stick a solar panel that creates more heat than before. Is that heat enough to negate the savings of the CO2? Nobody has done the research to find out. So, so there are problems. I mean, we try to avoid the heat, the temperature, incre which increases our temperature. The CO2 is one part of it. There are other ways we um, heat our environment and create heat in the environment. What is that? For instance, when we have a wind power, that backs up other solar or wind. That, uh, pardon me, we have a wind power, a, a, a gas power plant that backs up, supports solar or wind. 
Okay. Now, when the gas, we have said that gas is cleaner. How cleaner? How clean is cleaner? Let's see, look at it. This, in terms of CO2, a turbine will, will burn half, the, will produce half the CO2 than a coal-fired plant. So someone would think that 50% is cleaner. But that's not enough. Because when a gas turbine uh, escorts or uh, shadows a, so a renewable, it cannot have the second stage of the steam turbine. So out of the back of the gas turbine, it comes extremely hot gas that's going to the atmosphere. So 50% of that hits the atmosphere. So we save on the CO2, but we penalize it in terms of heat. It doesn't make sense. And we go at it as if nothing happened. Now, some people have done a little bit of analysis, but they stop on the point that it is not too significant, it's small. And I say, yes, it is not too significant, but also CO2 is very small. It's only two per anthropogenic CO2 is only 2% of our uh, 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 greenhouse gases. The other 2% uh, to make 4% CO2 is coming naturally. The other 96% is water. So water acts as an amplification factor to heat because every 10 degrees you double the amount of water in the atmosphere. So when you do that, then how does the water know that the heat came from CO2 or from dumping the heat from the turbine or getting other things that happen? So this is what's happening. We have to think both in terms of CO2 and heat, because heat is what we try to avoid that increases in temperature. And CO2 retains the heat, increases the amount of heat in the atmosphere, and then we get warmer. But at the same time, increasing the amount of heat, the water will do the same thing, amplified. So the fact that it is small doesn't mean anything. Well, thanks. Thanks, sir, Cosmos. Uh, uh, I should mention that Cosmos would like to uh, make another presentation at the university to get into these kind of details with the faculty there. Uh, go ahead, Van. Um, my name is Van Christou. Um, I'd like to start out by thanking you, uh, Cosmo, for uh, giving this excellent presentation on avoidance of simplistic answers to this thing that uh, we're all prone to make. Uh, we uh, jump aboard uh, one, of the, uh, one of the popular uh, theories of the time and can be completely off base uh, without knowing the facts. So it's really great to have, have you, people like you, and especially you uh, personally, uh, doing the research and the, and the work to show many other complexities that are there. One of the other com complexities uh, that you mentioned is the overpopulation of the world. Uh, I grew up here in Lethbridge and went to school, went to Bowman School. When I was at Bowman School, the, this world had between two and a half and three billion people. Now, as I stand here, it has over seven billion people. In my lifetime, the population of this world has more than doubled. Um, that's, and I can see where that's uh, one of the many factors that, that are playing into this decision-making that will have to be done in order to, uh, to solve the problem, if we're ever going to solve it properly, about, about carbon. Um, 
do you, my question is, do you see any way of that particular dimension of the problem being challenged and, and researched adequately where it'll be at, at all meaningful? Wow. <laughs> Nuclear bombs will do the job, but I don't think it's a good solution. But no, it, it is something that by policy and giving people the incentive will curtail the problem. Look at the refugees we have now. What do you do? I mean, you have an obligation to be humanitarian, but then you have an obligation to protect your culture. So what do you do when the uh, when the refugees multiply like rabbits? And before you know, you'll be outvoted. Uh, you know, so uh, it is a problem. I don't know the answer to that. I haven't spent time on that plan to look at it. And it is a, a part of the solution. It, it would provide a part of the solution. If we control that, we have control everything. Because we stop the increase. We increase the demand for energy at 2.4 per year as a humanity. So, yeah, it, it, we will control, at least curtail that. Because any, any solution we put, the 2.4% accumulated compound negates any, any benefit we provide. Do I answer your question? Okay, my name is Mark Gettle. Recently, there's been a lot of excitement to talk about the TELSUB uh, battery. And would you be able to tell us a little bit about that? Because one of the big problems, of course, is storage. And uh, the TELSUB battery, a lot of people are thinking, is, is one of the answers. What do you know about that battery and any comments? Oh. Well, let's look at it this way. The way I look at the problem anyways, a battery, will drive the Telsa, I believe it's the Telsa or, the, or the, the Prius, I don't remember which one, it will drive it for about 24, 26 miles, and then you have a small engine chucking along, carrying all that weight that emits more CO2, it burns more fuel than it would if you didn't have all that weight. Um, the second thing is, if I go and do now buy a rechargeable car, what kind of power does it take to charge the battery? Is that a coal fire plant? Okay. Now, I, I can see, for instance, if you had a bunch of windmills in some place isolated from the grid that charges the battery, a special grid for batteries, for cars that runs that, that would be ideal. But have them all together with the on-demand power, it doesn't seem to work very well, and there are problems. Uh, the other thing you got to remember in a battery you got to discharge it complete only 300 times, and then it's finished. You have a new battery. Maybe some new battery might make it about 400 times, but still the same principle. So you have to discharge it partially in order to make it last longer. Because a dead battery is, is a bad waste because it has um, lead, which is toxic. It's, a it's hazmat. It has to be collected. It takes a lot of energy to dispose, it takes a lot of energy to make. And also, it takes a lot of energy to operate it. When I charge my battery, by the time I go to charge it fully, I have emitted 20 to 30% more energy in the form of heat. You touch a battery that's been charged and gets hot because it emits heat. So you waste a lot of energy. Now, I have here 
some things what will take for batteries to operate let me see what do I have here battery storage costs let's look at the cost of battery for a second just to just to do the base load in UK to convert one month of UK wind generation to base load you require batteries worth 500 billion dollars just to convert a thousand megawatt of power base load to a battery power you need 350 billion dollars so we're talking astronomical costs and it doesn't count even the waste that it produces because when you discharge the batteries as I said completely they uh, and eventually you have to replace them five years six years you have to replace them so then think about uh, in my I have a boat and I have 1,600 ampere hours worth of batteries. And for 35 years, I have been trying to operate a freezer and a refrigerator when I unplug the umbilical cord to the marina. I have not been able to do it. I still have to crank the good old generator. I cannot be completely sufficient for that. So that should tell you something. Thank you. My name is Bob Byers, and I'm wondering about decarbonization. <coughs> Do you think that could actually occur without the widespread adoption of nuclear energy? Then again? Do you think decarbonization, decarbonization, do you think that could occur without widespread use of uh, nuclear energy? Uh, nuclear energy? What did you say? I don't understand the last word you said. What energy? Nuclear energy. Nuclear. Uh, nuclear is part of decarbonization. It is, but the thing is, we need all technologies to consider and look at it. Yes, it, it is an option, but uh, it's not for me to, to sort of flip a hat and say, yes, let's do it this way. If someone has a better idea, I'm prepared to listen. I think myself, if I had to guess, that a form of nuclear power, it is on the horizon. In fact, right now it's been designed and it should be there between... 30 years or something like that. Uh, and that will make unnecessary all the things we're doing right now. We'll be able to produce all the power we need to. But again, you can power a car or a plane with nuclear power. Okay, You can only produce a hydrocarbon, maybe synthetic by recycling CO2 from the atmosphere, as the aircraft carriers are doing in the US. But uh, yeah, every, everything is on the table. It shouldn't be only one or the other. It should be everything. You need all the technologies to optimize. During your, during, during your talk, <coughs> you didn't mention nuclear energy at all. And I was run, I'm wondering why that wasn't, why you didn't. <coughs> well, it, it, it is not part, I mean, nuclear energy is a solution. Um, what my problem is that I disagree with my colleagues on the type of nuclear energy. When we say nuclear energy, everybody's mind goes to the current generation of reactors that they are very safe, they are good, but the majority of people don't know how safe and good they are, and they are not accepting it. And the nuclear industry has to accept that fact and find a reactor that is acceptable to the people that doesn't do the three points, proliferation, meltdown, and um, long-term waste. 
and there are technology nuclear energy is a field that hardly has been tapped and has a lot of different options okay so yes the current nuclear reactor it's not acceptable if you can make the people accept it yes i will go for it i wouldn't have any problem i wouldn't have hesitation to live next door to it but the people are fearing about that and amplify the problem so although it is a viable solution you build it at the end of the day for the people so the nuclear industry should formulate and there are ways and there are technologies that has been a reactor down in the states running for several years and politics shut it down and that's the best reactor the chinese are developing one they should have it in 30 years already running and selling it so uh, it will not even run on uranium it will run on thorium and it will be liquid so it would not be able to melt down and the waste produced it will be negligible so there are all these options but right now we have to see that it is coming and plan to see okay at 30 years is coming this what do we do in the meantime how we're going to position ourselves we still have to do our homework and a job to plan it how to include it or and what to exclude Hi, my name is Knut Peterson. Uh, Cosmos, uh, the, the uh, picture up on the screen said something about consumption, individual consumption. That's probably not a good idea to push that because people are not ready to consume less. And our economy is so dependent on consumption, uh, so that's a tough one to sell. It's a much tougher sell than it is to tell people to put solar power on their roof and, and windmills in the, yeah. in the hills. Well, Nut, what is happening with the consumption? I mean, wasteful consumption, we should curtail it and eliminate it if we can. We should not be wasteful. But energy consumption, if you recall, if you see, the more energy we consume, the more advance as a society we become. Um, not wasteful production. You know, if uh, the, the, the countries that develop a higher density fuel, like in the UK, for instance, they went from burning wood to coal-fired, and then they started the Industrial Revolution, and bingo, you, they put, instead of having slaves now to feed as the Romans had, which was a fuel at the time, the grain, because the Romans, before they conquer a country, they see if they can cultivate grain. They look at the energy. They had to take it in order to grow. That's what made Romans an empire. And UK become a superpower by developing the, the, the coal, and the US become a superpower by developing hydrocarbons and later gas. So energy, is the heartbeat of society that allows us to live in, an in, in a non-conventional, in an artificial environment. So we can't live in an artificial environment and discard the energy because then the environment will collapse. We have, if we want to maintain that artificial environment, living in cities, which we and going to the supermarket to buy our groceries, we have to have the energy that takes to do that. Yeah, we should curtail the waste. But I don't believe that uh, living in the dark and try to sort of uh, 
cool our houses and do this type of thing serves any purpose. Uh, I mean, we could do it, and nobody will die. We can adapt it. But is that the kind of lifestyle you need? If we have no option, fine. But if there are options, why not? So, again, this is where the big brains and the decision makers have to sit down and consider that point of view as well and discuss it and incorporate it into a solution rather than shooting off the hip decisions and going. Uh, Canute uh, took a little bit of my question. I'm Mary Shillington. And uh, uh, I'm thinking about how we all think we need to live with a lot of conveniences. Uh, one of the things I'd like you to define is waste of, the, of what we think we require. Uh, but the issue of uh, population growth, uh, I, I kind of reacted to your, your comments about the Syrian refugees uh, and their re producing like rabbits. I didn't kind of, I totally react to it. Uh, uh, so population is important and, po and some solutions around population, but I think we all expect an awful lot and waste an awful lot by what we purchase and we're always purchasing and we always think or many people and most a lot of us here probably didn't ride our bikes like Graham did the rest of us uh, came in our cars even though we could have walked perhaps so what is waste and what are what are you defining and who's going to define what kind of a lifestyle we have because we expect an awful lot of comforts and I think we could be uh, lowering that to some extent for ourselves. And I'm as guilty as anybody else. So I th I'd like your reaction to my comments. Well, first of all, everybody has to decide for himself. In a free society, you don't want any bureaucrat to come and tell you how much energy you will consume and how much you wouldn't consume. Now, a waste is when you leave one room and you leave the light on and you go to another room and you leave it on and you go to the third room and you burn some extra electricity. Although this is small, but too many small can, can add up. The other thing is, uh, waste is when you get to the car and you go to the gas station uh, to buy um, um, some milk or something, you let the car run and out you know, in the winter, so you don't have to start it. I mean, this is a waste. Um, but your lifestyle, it's your own business how you do it, and you don't have the right, nobody has the right to tell you how you will do it, or you, will have the, you don't have the right to tell someone else how to do it. Everybody should be free to decide for himself what is good and what is bad. That doesn't mean that it will be an ideal case, but how can you solve it? without intruding on other people's freedoms. You say to curtail the freedoms to do that? Um, that's a bit too much pushing on that. Um, ideally, we want to reduce the amount of energy, but you don't want to sit in the dark and turn on the TV and try to sing in order to entertain yourself. Yeah, you can do it. Some people can do it, but some people might not like to do it. So it will, energy is quality of life. And we're born to enjoy our life rather than fight about it. So we should set the ingredients that we can enjoy it without being wasteful. I hope I answered your question. I, I don't see anyone else up at the microphone, so perhaps the moderator can get a question in. 
uh, we are putting a tremendous amount of effort into, uh, through industry uh, in evaluating the likes of pipelines and wind farm installations. It takes years and years and years to go through the analyses and make a decision. On the other hand, uh, the Climate Leadership Plan, which you and I actually participated in, was run through in uh, three or four months last summer and came to a decision uh, with uh, relatively little input. Can you, could you say a bit more about how our, how our uh, government might proceed to undertake a, an assessment that would be at least comparable to what's imposed on industry for the projects they undertake? Well, yeah, they, they can follow the same recipe that we expect from the industry that does the, if you build a, 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 like a pipeline, we do an, an environmental analysis and uh, an economic analysis and you do a cost-benefit and spend so much, I get everything has a cost and a benefit. And this is the thing, the way our government did it, they didn't have the time to evaluate what is the cost and what is the benefit. They just went, like Dr. Leach's group, very well-educated people, all of them, and the, the advisory committee, but they had only one scientist there that knew about the details, and that was only his own point of view. Now, what about, uh, you need to have a committee of technocrats, engineers, environmental scientists, economists, and so forth, and the government should hire a consulting company to assemble that and throw questions at them and get the answers. Because that way, then, they know I mean, instead sort of guessing that that's going to happen, will benefit the environment, well, you should be able to tell how do you make, how, by how much. If you want to invest on a, on a business, you say, I'll put in so much, I get out so much, is it worth it or not? You do that analysis. You do that for everything. So why not for the environment? Sounds very reasonable to me. Anyway, that's the end of our formal Q&A uh, session. But remember that Cosmos uh, can provide quite long, detailed answers. He would like to discuss these issues more with you, so uh, 